Well, good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, my name's... What have we lost? Oh, I knew I forgot something. Uh, my name's Jeff Leader. I'm part of the ministry team here. And uh, it's a great privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. So before we go, would you just bow your heads in prayer? And we'll commit these, this time to our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us in all kinds of ways. We thank you that we can get to know you personally. And we pray that through your Holy Spirit, we will grow in our faith and experience and knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're working our way through the book of Proverbs this month. And so I thought I'd do a sermon on Proverbs. But just to sort of introduce the topic, who would have thought that a series of books titled Four Dummies would sell in the tens of millions of copies. These self-help books have been purchased by millions of people, people like you and me, who people who wish they knew more about a particular subject. And with more than 100 separate titles, the series offers, actually several hundreds, I think, the series offers expert advice for just about everyone. Just consider a few of the, the titles up there. PCs for dummies, the internet for dummies. Kind of need that sometimes. One for Stuart, digital photography for dummies. And then there's Chinese, all sorts of languages, Chinese, German uh, for dummies. If you're into sport, yes, there's golf, cricket, something more practical, maybe carpentry um, for dummies. Uh, I couldn't find astrophysics for dummies, Luke, but we're working on it. Maybe that's your next book, mate, after The Fortunate Universe. But, <laughs> but law for dummies, like auto repairs for dummies, sailing for dummies, all kinds of titles. Pretty spectacular. But you might ask yourself, why has this series so effectively tapped into the desire of people to learn? One reviewer I came across said, I buy them because they take the intimidation out of the learning process. Whatever the subject matter, they spell it out in simple terms. They make, complex, make the complex understandable so that even a regular person like me can understand it. Now, the same can be said about the book of Proverbs. Proverbs takes the ageless priceless wisdom of God himself and makes it understandable. It makes it accessible to regular people like you and me. Proverbs could have been titled Proverbs, or sorry, Wisdom for Dummies. Comprehending the wisdom in Proverbs doesn't require a theological degree as the book contains very few confusing technical or theological terms. In fact, Proverbs would have to be one of the most down-to-earth books in the whole Bible because it presents pertinent, relevant truths for everyday living. And it makes those truths accessible to us. Now, few of the Proverbs fit the category of promises. Instead, they tell us how life works. One thing they do make clear is that, generally speaking, people who are godly, moral, hard-working and wise will reap many rewards. How did the writers know this? They learned it from a lifetime of experience. 
You see, they were fallible people like, oh, and by the way, Proverbs was written by a number of writers. Not Most of them are written by King Solomon, but there are other, other contributors to the book, so writers. These people learned this wisdom from a lifetime experience, and they were they weren't perfect by any means. They were fallible people like us, but they walked with God and pursued his wisdom. Yes, they fouled up, and they learned a few of life's hard lessons along the way, but they observed, they watched, they, they observed the successes and failures of others and wrote down their discoveries in order to share that wisdom, that experience with others. Now, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs kind of forms like an introduction to the remaining 22 chapters. It's a good book to read over a month. If you're reading it during this month, 31 chapters, chapter a day. And this introduction presents the kind of like the central message of Proverbs, which is simply to pursue wisdom, to pursue wisdom. And wisdom here is to be understood as what is true and right combined with good judgment. The introduction is written in the form of a father's instructions to his sons and it builds a case for the lifelong pursuit of wisdom. Just as a capture of the first 11 verses of chapter 4, it's You'll get the gist of it. Listen to, my, listen to my sons, to a father's instructions. Pay attention. Do not forsake my teaching. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Accept what I say. I instruct you in the way of wisdom. Bit rapid fire. But in verse after verse, the father calls his sons to seek wisdom. And then he tells them why. Because it pays. Can you read that? Yeah. Chapter 3. Blessed are those who find wisdom. Those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Now, according to this wise father, those who arrange their lives around the goal of gaining wisdom will receive rewards that far exceed anything they can imagine. You think you want silver? Wisdom is better. You think you want gold? Wisdom is better. You think you want fame, fortune, achievement, power? Wisdom is better. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Now think about the people you know. Do you know any wise parents, fathers and mothers who exhibit sound judgment in how they conduct their lives and raise their children? 
Do you know any fathers who know when to encourage and when to admonish? When to be tender and when to correct forcefully? Do you know any mothers who know when to give advice and when to just listen? When to teach and when to let life's consequences be their children's teacher? Now try to put a value on those insights. How much are they worth? How valuable are they to sons and daughters facing the challenges of the 21st century? This wise parenting is worth more than wealth if you want children who are healthy and well-balanced. You know, there are a lot of smart and hard-working people whose lives are filled with difficulties and hardships because they were raised by foolish parents who did not teach them how to make this life work. And then there are other people who are living fulfilling and productive lives who did have wise parents who taught them how to live fruitful and meaningful lives. You can't put a price on the legacy of such parents. Children who grow up with that gift agree with Proverbs 17.6, which says parents are the pride of their children. And turning that around, how much value would a parent attach to having children who eventually walk in the paths of wisdom, who know how to deal with conflict, who handle relationships maturely, who deal with money prudently. You can't put a price on that either. As Proverbs 15.6 says, a wise son brings joy to his father. You know, one of the incomparable benefits of pursuing wisdom is that it offers us a, a navigational system to keep us out of blind alleys and dead-end roads. In Proverbs 2.11-13, it says, Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways. Pursuing wisdom is also an effective way of investing in the future. Have a look at uh, Proverbs 24, 13. If you find it, that is wisdom, there is a future hope for you and your hope will, be not, will not be cut off. Ask yourself, what kind of hope does wisdom offer us for the future? Undoubtedly for a future hope in heaven, but also, I believe, hope for a life that works here today in this world. That is the value of wisdom, the wisdom that's found in the book of Proverbs. The wisdom of Proverbs offers us invaluable advice about diligence and self-discipline, about choosing friends and dating partners, about establishing a healthy, balanced family life, about honouring God with our finances and caring about our bodies, about growing spiritually, about caring for the poor, about managing anger, and about nearly every other area of our lives. Proverbs is helpful in showing us where to start the pursuit of wisdom. Go back to verse 7, chapter 1. It says that the, Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The place to start the pursuit of something that is worth much more than gold is by obtaining 
the knowledge that is most central to the deepest human needs. The knowledge that there is a God, a God who is powerful, a God who is present, a God who is personal, and a God who is head over heels in love with each and every one of us. A God who has extended to us through Jesus, his son, the hand of forgiveness and grace. A God who says, come on, take my hand and I'll help you make your life work. And that's where we start in the pursuit of wisdom. So if we're going to make, ever going to make wise choices, here is where we start. Fling open the door to your heart to God. Put your hand in the hand that Jesus has extended to you and accept the forgiveness that God has offered to you. You know, the book of Proverbs can be summarized in one brief passage that we find in chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. It says, and it's a very well-known passage, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your ways, your paths straight. See, when we commit our lives to following Jesus, we realize that that will involve reading our Bibles, spending time with God in prayer, and getting involved in church. But the question arises, just how far should we go? How far should our faith impact our morals, our relationships, our finances, or our careers? How far? And that's a challenge for Christian believers. Do we put our whole life in God's hands? Do we stake our lives on him? Do we let him lead and guide us in every area of our lives? It just said it all comes down to trust. Do we trust God fully? Now this is risky. It's scary because God may have things in mind for our lives that go way outside the plans and hopes and dreams that we may have. You see, perhaps he has in mind for us to embark on some kind of high-risk career. Perhaps he has all kinds of challenges and adventures waiting for us. Do we risk trusting his wisdom and guidance when it may actually change our lives and change our plans significantly for our future? So are we willing to submit our entire lives to his leadership? Can we take the risk? I remember... uh, my high school principal, a long time ago now, and he challenged us at our uh, year 12 speech day and he said, dare to be wise. Dare to be wise. Simple words, but they kind of stuck with me. You see, because it's often far easier to be foolish in life, to go with the crowd, to be lazy, to be inhospitable, to be tight-fisted, greedy, to distort the truth, 
tell lies, little white lies. Even to engage in immoral or corrupt behaviour. But the wisdom, the wisdom of God dares us to be wise in our behaviour and our relationships and our dealings with other people. Dare to be wise. It's similar, that was in a secular situation, but there is wisdom in that statement. But it's similar in our relationship with God. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5. But that's no simple pronouncement. There is no shortcut to trust, though we can and should find cause for trust as we read the Bible. And we learn of God's trustworthy behaviour and how, how God is found to be trustworthy down through history, through the ages and his relationships with all kinds of people. There is a more personal dimension of trust in God that we too must develop. And we need to do that in the same way that we develop trust with our friends, our dating partners, our spouses. And that's by engaging deeply and genuinely in everyday situations over a long period of time. Trust builds, trust grows. And that's the only way to determine for ourselves if it is safe and wise to entrust our lives to God. So where are you in your spiritual journey? Where are you in your relationship with God? Has God proven himself to you to the extent that you are ready for the next step of faith? Sooner or later, every person who is investigating Christianity and finding God trustworthy has to take that big step of personally receiving the message of new life in Christ and of believing that Jesus is who he claims to be, that he claims to be the Son of God whose life and death open the way for us to be adopted into the family of God. Romans 10.13 tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word everyone in that passage reveals the inclusive intention of God's heart. It's not that everyone will be saved, but God wants everyone to be saved. Those who call on the name of the Lord, and there's a promise there, they will be saved. But there are those two key words, those, sorry, who calls, who calls. Those two words remind us that we have to take action in response to God's gracious intent. God offers forgiveness, but we need to acknowledge that we need it and then willingly to accept it. He offers wise and loving leadership for our lives. But we have to let him know that we truly want it. He offers the gift, but we need to extend our hands and take hold of it. But deciding how to respond to Jesus' offer of salvation is not optional. Eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity for us hangs in the balance. And we have to choose and either choice requires faith. 
Choosing to place our trust in Jesus demands faith in a creator and sustainer and lover and saviour, a God we cannot see or feel with our senses. But turning away from Jesus' offer demands either faith in our own sufficiency to face God, to face the God of eternity alone, or faith in a godless universe. There is a choice. You know, I'm confident that anyone who acts on faith will find God to be trustworthy for salvation. But that's only the beginning. The next step is to trust God in the many decisions of everyday life. This is where we have to trust the wisdom of God. And this is how we come back to the book of Proverbs. Because in that book, God shows us the wisdom of taking the initiative is better than being passive or lazy or fatalistic. That doing good beats the soul-numbing alternative of self-absorption. That self-discipline, though difficult to develop, pays rich dividends. That speaking the truth in love is better than spinning webs of deceit. That choosing friends wisely is a significant key to growing in wisdom. That marrying well is the foundation of a marriage that lasts. That forging strong families is the best way to pass a positive legacy from one generation to the next. That cultivating compassion is a powerful way to change, to, to change the world. And that managing anger constructively is vital to personal happiness and relational harmony. So will we choose God's path at the various intersections of our daily life? Will we trust Jesus enough to conform our will to his ways? Will we trust Jesus? So coming back to Proverbs 3, Five to six, the writer tells us not to lean on our own understanding. And here he is making the point that no matter how smart we are or how many life experiences we have under our belts, we still need to realise that human judgment is always limited and sometimes wrong. Sometimes our best notions about what ought to be said or done are ill advised, dangerous, even destructive. And when it comes to key decisions in our lives, we almost always need deeper insights and a broader perspective than mere human wisdom can offer us. What we desperately need is God's mind on the serious matters of life. He offers it to us through the teaching of his word and the inner guidance of the Holy Spirit. Our job is not to question it or assume that we know better. Our job is to trust that God knows better, that he knows us better than we know ourselves, and that he knows the best way to make our lives work and to work well. The next phrase, in all your ways submit to him. That means to acknowledge God's wisdom, his insight and his understanding. And that is, that little word there, very important in the Bible, little three-letter word, all, in all your ways. 
You know, we can be assured that any area of life we decide to manage without the benefit of God's wisdom, insight, and understanding, that's going to end up creating a problem. Any area we put up a, a no trespassing sign and try to keep God out of that area will likely be the area that imperils the quality of our lives and threatens those around us. It, you know, it doesn't take many holes to sink a ship. Actually, it just takes one, and it doesn't even have to be a big one. Some people look at their career ambitions, others at their sexuality, still others at their money, or their choice of friends, or their leisure time activities, and they say, I know all about your wisdom, God. I know what the Bible says about this, and I know your spirit is prompting me, but I don't want your advice in that area. I'll manage this area on my own. But you know what? Just one unyielded area of life can have far-reaching consequences. And they are negative, destructive consequences. In time, it will almost surely have an adverse effect on other dimensions of our lives as well. Eventually, when life is no longer working well, we will probably look back and say, it all started with this one little private domain that I thought I could manage better than God. And now this. Look at the situation I'm in. Some people seem determined to learn everything the hard way. But they could learn from what millions of people have learned before. Any area of life that is not placed under God's leadership and wisdom will eventually be the source of great frustration and pain and heartache. The writer of the Proverbs pleads with us not to subject ourselves to this kind of risk. If we acknowledge God in all our ways, in every area of our lives, we can significantly lower the risk of trouble. It's like patching up that one hole that is threatening to sink the entire ship. And then the final part. He will make your path straight. Now, let me just say, this does not mean that God will necessarily make us healthy, wealthy, and happy. It does not mean that he will make us comfortable, popular, and thin. It does not mean that he will satisfy all our trivial wishes and temporal wants. He will make your path straight means that he will give our lives direction, purpose, and fulfillment. He will guide us around swamps and valleys and ditches so we can stay on the right path. And he will work in us to transform our hearts and our souls. He will work through us to have an impact on other people. And when we die, he will lead us straight through the gates of heaven. And when you think about it, what more could we ask for? I love Jeremiah 29, 11, in which God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't that great? To think that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. God has a plan and a purpose. And indeed, if God does have a plan, a future and a hope for each of us, with our own name on it, 
You know, God, God doesn't promise a life free from problems. He does promise a life that is too good to miss. But we will never discover this life, this life's adventure, until we trust ourselves to his guidance and his leadership. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He understands our capabilities and our limitations. And he knows exactly what pitfalls we need to avoid. And he sees the full scope of our potential. God has set his sights high for us. And he's willing to give us every form of assistance we need to live out his perfectly defined, designed path. But we need to turn to him and trust him fully. As Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's the beginning. But then jumping over into the New Testament to Jesus, who said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So the bottom line is that we need to build our lives on Jesus' words and God's salvation because we can trust that he knows what he's talking about. You can trust Jesus because he is trustworthy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that you care about us and that you supply our every need. Our Lord, we pray that we will trust you to take control of our lives, that we will give over to you the leadership, that we'll submit to your will and purpose. Help us to accept this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.